0: Old Testament passage this morning is from the prophet Isaiah 25. I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain, We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The very word of God.
1: Hmm. Thanks be to God. Well, well, we're continuing today our study of the the parables of Jesus. Those stories that he told that have powerful impact on how we live and who we are and what we're called to do. And, of course, the, the invitation this entire summer has been... Where are you in the story? Can you find yourself in God's story? Because they weren't just there to to entertain us. The stories were there to invite us into his story. To invite us into the story of God. We were back today as we begin. We're studying today the parable of the great banquet from Luke chapter 14. I invite you to begin making your way to Luke chapter 14. But... um, but I want you to know that Luke chapter fourteen didn't happen in a vacuum, right? We've seen so many times that oftentimes Jesus would give some kind of cue word that would take everybody to something that was very familiar to them, and and all he had to, to say was the. The key word and their, their minds would go there. Well, let me just say that, that as he, as he entered into the house of the Pharisee in Luke chapter 14, that the banquet which the Pharisee was offering was, was begging for them to, to consider again this vision of Isaiah for the, the ultimate um, experience, the, the banquet with the Messiah, the great banquet, as it were. And I know that that scripture went by so quickly. I just invite you to to return to it in your devotions this week. In fact, let me just say today's study could be broken easily into four or five little one-day shots. I'll try and and prompt you with different divisions as we go through the study today. But one of them would be this passage, Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. And and, and in particular, I want you to note right here, the beginning of our time today in God's word, that there was a promise in, in that scripture on this mountain. The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a banquet, Right? So 700 years before the time of Christ, God was casting a vision, not just a vision for the people of Israel. People stumble over this all the time. Uh, Was, was God xenophobic? Did he just have one nation in mind or one race in mind or one peoples in mind, and, and, and just a couple of weeks ago, I took you back to Genesis 12 to remind you, no, the purpose of calling out Abram, the purpose of calling out the nation of Israel was so that they could experience the blessing of God and that they would be the blessing of God to the world around them, right? But something happened, I am, I'm not going to throw stones because this happens to me all the time. God reveals himself and invites me into a partnership with him and then, and then something happens in between. Life happens in between. I forget the call. I forget the, the intimacy that I experienced. I forget the invitation. That was true for Israel as well. Something happened between the vision of, of Isaiah 25 and, and the invitation to the actual well, what happened? Let me let me just point out, it's, it's so uh, easy to see the trail, right? The breadcrumbs that led people, in this case, not to God, but away from him. The first breadcrumb, and, and, I, and this is kind of a challenge to us, the first breadcrumb was something called the targum. Sounds like something you'd get out of a vending machine, doesn't it? A targum. It was, it was a, a commentary on the Old Testament scriptures, in this case, a part of that Targum was a commentary on Isaiah. Now here's, here's the problem. Whenever human beings, um, write commentaries on God's Word, right, they tend to filter it. And, and I love that we have at our, at our disposal incredible resources. Believe me, I'm a bibliophile. I've got commentaries all over my office. I, I, I so greatly appreciate those who have gone before and who have sought to understand. And and we're so blessed to have study Bibles where where uh, sometimes only half the page is actually God's word, right? The other half is commentary. The other half is Targum. And most of the time it's just really helpful. But we have to be careful. In this case in in the commentaries on Isaiah they they reinterpreted this vision that God gave for a a heavenly banquet for all peoples. They said, Yahweh of hosts will make for all the people on this mountain a meal. I'm actually reading from the Targum on Isaiah 25. And although they supposed it to be an honor... So he recognized that all people were invited, right? Although they supposed it to be an honor, it will actually be a shame for them. And great plagues, plagues from which they will be unable to escape, plagues whereby they will come to their end. So they interpreted this this picture of this heavenly banquet as a God sneakily bringing everybody together so that he could, he could pour out plagues on them. A couple centuries before Jesus, now, 700 years is Isaiah before Jesus. Now a couple hundred years before Jesus. There was an apocryphal. An extra biblical book floating around. There are many of them today. In our culture as well. Um, this apocryphal book called Enoch. And it spoke of this passage. It spoke of the great banquet with the Messiah. And it affirmed again. That Gentiles will be included. But then it said. An angel of death will be present. And will use his sword to destroy the Gentiles. The Gentiles. Oh, sorry about this. We're a little ways away from lunch. The banquet hall will run with the blood and the believers will have to walk through the gore to reach the banquet hall as they sit down with the Messiah. They could not comprehend that God would set a banquet table for all people, including that person (laughs) that you don't want to be near, right? That person that you don't want God to pour out his grace on Well, even in Jesus' time. Have you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Have you heard of those? Um, There's a community called the Qumran community. Some of you have visited there. And and they withdrew from Jerusalem because Jerusalem was going, pardon me, to hell in a handbasket. And so they withdrew into the desert. And we're kind of glad that they did because they preserved for us. Uh, scriptures in caves and things like that but they also had their own little commentaries their own little books and the Qumran community assumed that no Gentiles would be present or for that matter anybody with any disability any imperfection would be present at the banquet table of God and all three of these the Targum the book of Enoch the Qumran community were all in direct opposition to this beautiful vision. A vision we saw. Just a few weeks ago. Do you remember? In Revelation chapter 7. We saw in Revelation chapter 7. Fulfilled. Where people from every tribe. And tongue. And nation. Were gathered together. To worship. Jesus Christ. Right? So. I want to start with this question. Who's really invited. To the table of God. Right? How. How do we join the Messiah? Not how do we um, fence the table. Ooh, we just took a shot. How do we fence the table? But How do we invite people to the table of God? How do we, ourselves, have dinner with Jesus, right? Well, we find clues to that in a series of events that happened at a banquet that Jesus was invited Right? It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 14. And, and in Luke chapter 14 are these sequence of events. I'm, I'm not gonna read the passage today, but I will reference it and invite you to just be glancing at it as I speak, right? Each of these events holds a powerful truth, not only for how we might join Jesus at the banquet, but how we might join Him in His quest to bring as many others as possible. To the table as well. It begins in Luke chapter fourteen, verse one. One Sabbath—that's really important here. One Sabbath, that time, that day where you did no work. When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees are the hyper-legalistic uh, 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 worshippers of Yahweh. And 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 right here in Luke fourteen, it says they were watching Jesus carefully right and behold there was a man before him who had dropsy right a physical disability where his body swelled and jesus responded to the lawyers and the pharisees in other words he understood what they were doing at this place where no one theoretically of disability would be they brought someone to see what jesus would do on the sabbath and jesus asked them just point blank Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And look at this line. I have it highlighted in my Bible. But they remained silent. They remained silent. You can just imagine the pain, the frustration for Jesus. So Jesus took the man and healed him and sent him away. This was never about the man. It was about testing Jesus and he did what they hoped he would do he broke their rabbinic laws he healed on the sabbath he didn't break the commandment he broke their rabbinic laws and as jesus sent him away he said to them which of you having a son or an ox even that had fallen into a well on a sabbath they would not immediately pull him out right and, and, and it's a rhetorical question, but, but, but the answer is really obvious. Of course we would do that. You imagine, Chad, if, if Elliot fell into a pit. I mean, it doesn't ma- Nothing matters at that point. But rescuing him. Are you, are you sensing the heart of God here? Nothing matters more than rescuing him. And again, they could not reply to these things; they had no answer for Jesus, so he told the first of a couple of parables uh, to those who were invited. when he noticed how they chose those places of honor, saying to them, "When you are invited by someone to uh, to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him and and He who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person and you will begin with shame to take the lower place. So let's catch up for a second. Jesus has has taken the vision that God gave Isaiah and and he is helped us see that it's a vision for what should happen at that eternal banquet. And what should happen at that eternal banquet is that people should be made whole, right? Needs should be met. Needs should be met. In a sense, the the Pharisees were right. There should be no people at the banquet of God with with brokenness, physical, emotional, or spiritual, right? They should all be made whole. What should happen at the banquet is that people should be made whole and needs should be met. But now, as he continues, he's he's casting a vision for how we should live then. How, if this is true, if that's the goal of what should happen at the banquet, how should we live in between? And he having been a guest at this banquet, had watched people vie for the seats of honor. We've explored before, and, and usually in a, a setting, especially um, a wealthy setting like this, there would be a triclinium, there would be a three-part table. Can you picture three plastic six-foot tables put together in a U-shape, right? Uh, And the very center of the U, so the two arms of the U go back toward you, and the very center would be the guest of honor. And then on either side, beginning with the right side, and then the left side would be people um, second in honor. And then the farther you got away from the the uh, honored guest was uh, where you stood in, I'm about to say pecking order, where you stood in terms of the other people in the room the pecking order has has new meaning for me because we now have chickens that which i said would never happen has happened and um and um i cannot explain it except that i love my daughter and and um i want to wring her neck for bringing chickens into my house better in my home but but um but they have a pecking order son of a gun if that little phrase isn't true one day we came out there and one of them was chased all the way up a, up a little trellis that we have in the chicken thing and, and was beat up and bleeding, right? Because that person was, that, that, that chicken was the least honored in the group. And, uh, uh, that happens in human beings, doesn't it? Particularly in middle school. Particularly in middle school girls' soccer teams, right? Um oh my goodness. Am I showing too many of my cards? <laughs> but it happens all the time. It happens all the time. So Jesus said, how do you navigate a world where there's pecking orders? Go low, he says. Go low. Start with the lowest place. Start the farthest from the seat of honor. And Jesus says, when, when the master of the banquet comes and he sees you sitting down there, he'll, he'll move you to a place of honor. He'll move you up to a place of honor, right? Jesus has a vision for how we should live. It's a vision for living in, in humility. And, and here's where he used, he taught it several times, but here's one of the times where he said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, right? But the one who goes low, the man or the woman who humbles themselves will be exalted. Not necessarily at the table, not necessarily in the middle school classroom, not necessarily on the soccer field, but God in due time will exalt. Peter understood that, right? He reflected that thought of Jesus as well. So we have a vision for what should happen at the banquet. Needs should be met. We have a vision for how we should live in humility, right? But he also then continued and gave a vision for who should be invited to this feast, right? He says, and now, and he's now not speaking to just the people around the table. He's speaking directly to the master of the house. He's speaking to the person who, who gave the banquet. He says, when you give a feast, Luke fourteen thirteen through 14, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, invite all the people that the Targum, that the book of Enoch, that the Qumran community said should not be there. Invite the uninvited. And you will be blessed. Genesis 12, right? You'll be blessed to be a blessing because they cannot repay you. And you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just, right? So who is it that should be invited? Those who cannot repay. Let me press positive and say, does that mean we never have dinner with with, with friends? We never have people, dinner with, with family? We never, um, not at all. Not at all. Um, celebrate those precious moments. But don't limit the banquet to those people, right? Go out and find... Those who are uninvited, those who cannot repay and invite them to come. Now, we got a problem, right? Because we're sitting in this banquet and basically Jesus said, has been saying everything that you guys did here is wrong. You brought me here to test me. That was wrong. You you fought for places at the table. You fought for seats of honor and 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 that was wrong. There's a lot of tension in this room. You all have been there. Um, uh, you have certain gifts that you use, Chad, when, when you want to break tension, right? Um, I do too. Um, mine, mine is to is to use humor, to use humor. This person, there was somebody at that banquet who their way of breaking the tension of the room wasn't to crack a joke like I might have done, but what they did was try to find some common boundary, some kind of common thing that everybody could affirm in a christian community it might be the phrase jesus is lord right we, we we can affirm that when all our differences are political or emotional or social differences we're a d- very diverse group but but when we say jesus is lord it draws us back to that and here for G- for jesus at that time there was a, um, a person at the banquet who recognized the tension in the room and he said blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of god right and, and whew, music started to play, everybody says, wow, thank you. And Jesus didn't give up. He didn't stop. He continued casting the vision, right? And it's, it's, it's a vision for what to do next, right? We've seen a vision for how we should live. We've seen a, a vision for who should be invited, but he cast a vision for what to do next. He said, A man once gave a great banquet, and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, verse 17, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come for everything is now ready, as we've seen so many times. Uh, they did not have refrigeration, they did not have a lot of the tools that we have. They could not throw a banquet on a moment. You planned for a banquet, you sent out invitations, you made your your arrangements based on the people who had responded. Right? I'm coming. I'm coming. It happens all the time. We have invitations on email. Are you coming? Right? Are you coming? I struggle sometimes because I say I'm coming and I forget to put it on my calendar. Right? Um, but uh, they, he asked people to come. They responded and said they're coming. So he he slaughtered the the animals that he needed for the meal based on the number of people that were coming. And it comes now down to the day of the banquet, right? And so the man sends out by his servant, sends out the the message, come for all is now ready, right? But they, look at this, all alike. We're going to see three examples here, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and sell it. doesn't make sense because, I must go and see it, excuse me. It doesn't make sense because you would look at that field before you bought it, wouldn't you? You'd make sure that it was facing the right direction so it could catch the sunlight, so it could grow the crops. You would not buy it without seeing it. I must go see it, he said. Please, Have me excused. Another said. I just bought five yoke of oxen. You can just imagine. How wealthy that person was. That's just a huge thing. I've just bought five yoke of oxen. And I must go to examine them. Wouldn't you examine them. Before you bought them. Right. And another. I've married a wife. And therefore. I cannot come. Didn't even ask to be excused. This time. Right. Those are just three examples. Of what Jesus is saying. In this parable. Every single one of them. Did So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry. That's important. The master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of a city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. There they are again, those same four words, right? Bring in the uninvited, right? Bring in those who should not be at this banquet. And the servant did it. He came back and said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and again I highlighted this in my bubble. And there is still room. There is still room at the table for others, right? And the master said to the servant, go out. Now he's gone beyond the city to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house might be filled. Here's a purpose statement right in the middle of this parable. God's purpose is that his house would be filled, right? And then the man says, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Jesus is casting a vision for what we can do. Let me just say first, respond to the invitation. Respond to the invitation. Jesus is saying to us today, both through his word and through the sacrament, come for everything is now ready. The, you, don't miss this, please, beloved. Right? He's not saying that someday in the future, Revelation will be fulfilled and the kingdom of God will come. He's saying it's ready now. The kingdom of God has come now. Will there come a time where it's physically fulfilled? Yes. But the kingdom of God is here now. That was the message of John the Baptist. It was the message of Jesus. The kingdom is here now come for everything is ready Uh, in revelation 3 we saw behold i stand at the door and knock jesus says if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come into him and commune and banquet and sup with him and he or she with me the time to respond has come it's here now we don't We can't find ourselves making excuses thinking that we have some more time to make the decision. The kingdom of God is right here, right now, and you accept or reject it right here or right now. Come. Come. For everything is now ready. To a certain extent, we... Many of us here in the room and many of us watching online have accepted the invitation. We even use that language. I invited Jesus into my life. You may have other language that you use. It means at some point you intellectually gave assent to the fact that Jesus is Lord. And you set him in that place where he belongs, right? And then we just went on with the rest of our lives. And lived as if he was not Lord of our lives. As if the kingdom had not come. Lived as if it didn't make a difference for us. Respond, not just with intellectual sin, but respond physically. Physically. Show up. Show up, engage in worship. I don't know about you, but when we're first starting to worship, I I have to force myself to physically respond because I'm, like many of us, are part of the frozen chosen. And I, I just don't do well in physically expressing worship. I don't do well in physically engaging in things that I'm thinking about in my mind. Respond physically. Engage the invitation. And let's... Let's stop making excuses. What do you think? Right? Many of you are parents or grandparents and your children did something that you expressly told them not to do or they didn't do something you expressly invited them to do. And they made those those excuses, right? And they seem so appropriate to the children, right? And you just looked at them and said, it doesn't make it right. Let's not make excuses to living God. We have them, don't we? Oh, someday, someday I'll get serious about God, right? Or I'm just so busy right now, right? I I just don't have time for God. We have myriad excuses. Let's stop. Let's stop. Let me ask you, have you responded to Christ's invitation? Have you responded? I mentioned earlier, don't miss the word anger, right? Because again, we have, we have um, targummed the New Testament scriptures as well. We have gotten our own little comfortable commentaries on that. And we've said even things like, God never gets angry. He's only love, right? Oh, he gets angry. Do not mistake this. He gets angry. The difference in God and us, I think is that, uh, that, his anger is measured. That's what the wrath of God means. It's measured response appropriate. But right here in our passage today is another difference. God channels his anger into grace. God transforms his anger into grace. Anybody have an anger management issue? Yeah. <laughs> It was rhetorical, but thank you for confessing. (laughs) Um, I I, I thought so many times that I got over that, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor, right? I've shared with you some pretty spectacular examples. I was laughing at myself this week because I went to a high school soccer game. Awesome job, by the way. A couple of them are in the room right here. Awesome job at the game. And I was livid. I was... Screaming and yelling and, and my, my heart was racing. This is a high school soccer game, right? But it was two to one and, and there was one more, excuse me, red jersey on the field than there was white jersey and it was the referee, right? Okay? And, and I just found myself getting all animated. I can feel it right now, right? And the difference between me and God is that I didn't for a moment think about transforming that anger into grace. Do you see what the man did? Yeah, he got. This was. This is much more than we have time to go into. But he was intentionally. If everybody you invite to a party cancels, that's not random, right? That is an intentional effort to humiliate. And and so he was justified in his anger. Um, but he chose to transform his anger to grace, and he invited the people who were not invited and there was still room and beloved there's still room at the table of God right now who is God placed in your sphere of influence who might not believe or know that they are invited to the table of the Lord as well invite them right invite them that's a Next major point, bring others to the celebration. Go out quickly. Go. We don't have time to explore each of these words, but go and do it quickly, right? Go out into the city and bring them in, right? Didn't say invite them. Said chuck them over your shoulder and drag them in. I saw a a meme yesterday of a dad. Uh, And before you judge me or the dad, he was dragging his kid through the airport by his hoodie right and 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 he just was dragging him down the thing. Now don't look at me that way, because you've all thought about that, and many of you in the room have done that, right? Um, and and um, he it, the, the man was just living out what many of us have thought: go get him and drag him, drag him into the presence of Jesus. I would love it if you dragged him here. <laughs> we might have like rug burns next week. But but this is only one expression of the presence of Jesus. You can you can have the presence of Jesus around your desk at work, right? You can have the presence of Jesus and on, on the soccer field. You just have to bless that guy in the stands who's screaming and yelling. You you can you can bring them to the banquet and and, and start with the last. Start with the least. Start with the lost. Why did he constantly say that? Because they were the ones that were always overlooked, but they're also the ones that most likely will respond first, right? When you discover that Jesus is all you have, you discover that Jesus is all you need, right? And, and most of us, our lives are so full that we don't realize our need for Jesus. Start with your own sphere of influence, your own neighborhood. And if you missed last week, then go back and watch it online, would you? And 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 learn how you can pray to God to to help define your neighborhood. Learn how you can engage your neighbors for Christ. Again, I want to note that in a sense, all the Targum, the Book of Enoch, the Qumran community—they were at least partially right. There will be no people at the eternal banquet who have not been made whole. Right. Jesus is the one who makes them whole. And he is the one who invites them. And he is the one who invites you to his table. So real quick, this isn't your notes, but write it in if you would. Where are you in the story, right? Where are you in the story? Have you responded to Christ's invitation to come? It's not just an invitation to the communion table, though that this is a physical representation of it. It's, it's much larger than that. It's an invitation into a personal relationship with the one who loved you so much that he gave his own life for you. Have you responded to the invitation? Many in this room have. And I praise God for that. So maybe our place in this story is that we are those servants, Right? Do lost servants, we are the servants of Jesus who he's saying, go out and bring them in. Go out and bring them in, right? And when we discover that there's still place, and, and I said earlier the kingdom of God is here, but, but the, the opportunity to join the table is still there. Um, we're not yet at that point where that door is closed. It'll come, it is coming, but it's not here yet. Right now, come on up, worship team, if you would. Right now, we have this, this opportunity to, to bring the last and the least and the lost. And to discover that we are them. Who is really lost at this table that Jesus was sitting? Was it the man with dropsy? No. No. The last and the least and the lost were the ones who thought they were the first and the most. And the found. Right? We are them. Let's come to the table and bring as many as possible with us. That's what's so powerful about um, this symbol that Jesus gave us on the night in which he was betrayed. Jesus Christ, who was sharing a meal, the Passover meal with his disciples. And don't picture just the 12. There, there There were many others there as well said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many, many, not just you, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. And Paul says this is this is our coming to the table. This is the opportunity we have to live out the gospel. Let's begin right now. For some of you, it might be the very first time that you knew without a doubt that you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Come. For all is now ready. For some of the rest of us, we we made that commitment and we've come to the table many times, but we live in a world where where everything in us and around us draws us away from Him. Hey, the table is still open. Come, come. Prepare your heart. Just ask God, if there's anything in me, is not of you. Bring it to the surface so that I can surrender it. Then come to the table of the Lord. The way we're going to do this today is we're going to beginning those of you in the back invite you to come down the side aisles and, and pick up the elements but would you withhold them all until we're seated and would you take them back to your to your pew. For those of you at home would you gather your elements and then and then wait for all to be served. Uh, and then together we will banquet. Together we will commune, which Jesus has called us to Himself. Those of you in the back,
0: come, for all is now ready.